Welcome back to the second half of my podcast on a digital frontier. In the first half of the podcast, we talked about internet piracy, the SOPA bill, and the debate about the rights and wrongs of internet piracy and intellectual property law. In the second half, I'm going to look at this from a Christian perspective and hope that you'll join me in listening to what Christians have to say, if anything, about this difficult subject. So sit back and relax as we dive into the digital frontier. When approaching this issue, I've often mused on the fact that life as a Christian would be a lot easier if I had a bunch of rules, a lot more straightforward perhaps. Do this, don't do that, and you're doing the right thing. And to be honest, uh, maybe to you, this comes as a shock. Maybe to you, you would expect me to be someone who reads the Bible, and you would see the Bible as a bunch of rules, a code for living. Uh, Perhaps that's why you would rather leave it to one side or not bother reading it. Maybe you'd leave it for people who would rather be told what to believe and what to think, rather than reasoning for themselves or using their intellect. You might see Christians as those who surrender their brains at the gates of the church, And we hear this all the time. If the Bible says something on the matter, it's clearly the answer. The problem is, often the answer is not just simple. So, for example, uh, I've been on the internet and found one man saying, what does the Bible say about intellectual property? The answer is nothing. That is, you will not find any scripture, old or new, referring to intellectual property. So, on one hand, we have our cut-and-dried answer. If the Bible is silent, then we have nothing to say on the subject. Or perhaps, like another internet pontificator, you've read the Bible and arrived at the opposite conclusion. Says one person, Since piracy is stealing, it's against God's law. You shall not steal, Exodus 20, verse 15. Once again, proof text and conclusion. Wham bam, thank you ma'am. However, I'd like to suggest that Christians don't actually have a book of rules. And maybe you'll find this rather odd. No, I think we have a God. We have a person, Jesus Christ. A man who shapes the way we want to live, who lived a life of virtue that we want to emulate. Let's leave to the side the cut and dried answers for the moment, shall we? One proof text does not make an ethic to live by, it will be flimsy to say the least. And as a Christian I want to take the Bible seriously, but not to use it as a prop to support what I already think. So, what does the Christian have to offer on a subject like this? On my travels, zooming down the internet tubes, riding on a torrent of memes, tweets and status updates, I arrived at the strange land of the Christian blogosphere, an odd country from whose born no man returns. But I did. And here were a few of the highlights of my web tour. Our first stop on the tour at thinkchristian.com summed up the problem about internet piracy as best as I could find. For the Christian, then, we are presented with an interesting dilemma. We desire justice, and this bill seems to promote justice by punishing those who would steal. Yet we also desire freedom and oppose giving away unreasonable levels of control to the government, and this bill seems to take freedom away. Situations like these highlight two things Christians need to hold dearly, but too often forget. First, they highlight the need for ethics. Though the Bible teaches excellent standards of right and wrong, our modern-day situations are complicated enough to sometimes enter grey and uncertain territory. In those moments, the ability to be clear and prepared in choosing right and wrong are essential. Life will not always present easy choices. Instead, many of the choices we face are grey area versus grey area. So when we do find a moment of clarity, our ethics had better be ready. For me, this hits the nail on the head. 
The one-time Bishop of Durham and all-round awesome dude with an awesome beard, Tom Wright, writes in his book Virtue Reborn that we need to cultivate an ethic, not just have a list of Bible verses that we bring up whenever suits us. Take the pilot, for example, who famously ditched his plane in the Hudson after an engine failure a few years ago. If we continue to build our faith bit by bit and choose to do the right thing, we build up a deposit that means a sticky situation comes along, the ethical equivalent of ditching in the Hudson. We're ready to make a last withdrawal, like that pilot, rather than being called up short. This is Tom Wright's illustration, and it makes, I think, a very reasonable point. Christ and pop culture, another site, also had a helpful approach. Justice should always be our goal, but as the sober controversy has revealed, justice is often far more complicated than we think, especially in as complicated a situation as the online sphere, and simplistic approaches are never the solution. Indeed, such solutions may turn out to be worse than the problems. We now zoom along to another Christian blogger, Dawn Singer. He takes this issue firmly into the realm of ownership. He says the problem is with our culture, that we're not actually all that clear on what is and isn't piracy. He takes example of today's youth, saying that they don't really have a concept of personal property in the same way that their elder generation does. Books, movies, clothing, almost anything goes into a sort of communal pool, constantly circulating. Keeping their own stuff around to the lending library is a major effort. It's not that they have an intention to steal, but they just really question the whole concept of private property. I'm not sure whether that makes them nascent communists or just good sharers. Perhaps they just have a very high threshold for setting aside things that they don't want to share. For some, the only way is to forsake any possessions that might be suspect and not even cross the threshold into the grey area. There are certainly a few bloggers who are absolutely sure where they stood and why. Here was one. If you're a Christian and you're sharing files you don't own, hopefully you're experiencing some inner conflict. Most likely the Holy Spirit prompting you to come clean. Pirating dishonors God, hurts your walk with Jesus, and damages your witness to others. As a Christian, nothing should be worth that to you. However, I feel that there's more to it than that. There was another blog, it's only a northern blog.com, which comes back at this point with a reminder of what the church has to lose if internet freedoms are curtailed. Thou shalt not steal. Some might think that's basically all their faith says about the SOPA bill, and will therefore support the new anti-piracy legislation. From my own perspective though, it's not so simple. I support the initial spirit behind the anti-piracy legislation, but as I understand it, the bill's currently written in a way that would hamper online innovation and freedom, whilst in fact really not doing much to actually stop the pirating of copyrighted material. It would strike at the heart of our evolving definition of community, and our evolving definition of the church in the 21st century. Jesus taught that when two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. What we've seen over the last decade or so has been a revolution in what it means to be gathered, largely enabled by sites like Facebook, YouTube, Wikipedia and Twitter. Sites that are at risk of shutdown by the SOPA bill. My hope is that our good judgement and desire for truth will help point the world back to Christ around whom ethics are centred. Remember, that every time you side on an issue like this, it's one small act of worship to your king. You know what, I think I agree with this guy. In my church, at least, there is a deeper level of community between admittedly younger members of the congregation because of their Facebook or Twitter communication, especially in hyping up excitement about upcoming events or sharing a blog where they share their thoughts on a particular issue. 
if, as a body of Christ, we're going to reap the benefits of being involved with the new generation of being connected, we're going to have to deal with the ethical issues that entails. On the other end of the scale, some Christians are ready to denounce the whole notion of copyright altogether. Gifmexchurch.com talks about how they're trying to preach an open-source gospel in an intellectual property church. This is what they say. Some, like me, are mission-oriented. We believe that the church should do everything in its power to get the message and the song out. We believe that nothing should stand in the way of the church's transmission of the message as it has been given. We are the equivalent of the open-source movement in the software industry. Other churches are more business-oriented. They rightly believe that proclaimers and publishers and singers are worth their wages. But then they assert something further, something with which I heartily disagree, that access to the messages and music that Christians produce should be limited to those who are willing to pay for them. It seems a crime against humanity to make them access the fruits of their knowledge and inspiration dependent on payment. The propagation of the gospel becomes a matter of money, privilege, ego, empire building and power, things Jesus did not promote, whilst things Jesus did promote, such as the unhindered dissemination of his message, get set aside. The poor will be forever criminals in the eyes of copyright holders unless they start paying their dues. Something is wrong with this picture. And again, I can kind of see this side of the argument, as I hope you can. I come to this question every year as I pay our church's annual invoice for our license to sing copyrighted worship songs on a Sunday, knowing that for some churches the money just wouldn't be available. What else could have I spent that money on? How many other people could we fed? How many internships could we sponsored? How much more could we be put towards our charitable activities? And yet, on the other hand, I do know that there are people in my church who would love to make a living from writing and recording worship songs, but couldn't afford to live off the fairly meagre royalties. Again, we come back to this question of ownership. We really fail to grasp the person on the other end of the supply chain. Just like the way in which we're removed from the freshly slaughtered carcass of a cow that ends up as a hermetically sealed and inviting package of steak in a supermarket freezer, so we're just so removed from the person who benefits or not from our paying or failure to pay for a product. In either case, it's clear that as far as the youth of today is concerned, they've voted overwhelmingly with their downloads. On CMTA.com, they took a study of teenagers and in their results found no difference at all between Christians and non-Christians in their attitudes to piracy. One lot is just as likely to download pirated material as the other. About 80% of both non-Christians and Christians had at some point downloaded in the last six months music or film that they hadn't paid for. Now they say the problem is hyper-individualism. They just don't buy the idea that a company or an artist can own an experience, which essentially is what music or film represents, much less tell them what is right or wrong. Although a legal challenge may temporarily stop piracy, teens music for that will just morph into some new form. So the problem, I think, is endemic to our society. People genuinely don't care about copyright. It's not just a minority thing. With the boundaries blurred, we can do whatever we like. But the fact that it's a grey area, I think, does not just mean we can dive in for a free-for-all. It means we have to take a step back, breathe in and contemplate a little bit harder, engaging our grey matter to try and work out what the right path is. We seem to have three ways ahead of us. One of us is to go down one extreme, the intellectual property extreme, whereby the law tightly controls what we download or use or edit, and IP is guarded jealously. Or perhaps on the other side we have an open source extreme where everything is up for grabs, there's no law on what you can or can't do with digital media, it's all up to us. Or perhaps we take a middle road, where we cultivate an ethic that guides us in each situation, having our cake and eating it, 
and trying to work out every time whether what I'm doing is okay or not. I imagine quite a few of you will put yourselves in the first box, or maybe the second, though I imagine the majority may want to appear fair and balanced and pick the final box, situation ethics for the win, not wanting to be an extremist in either direction. Yes, it is important that we cultivate a virtue. Yes, it's important that we make our own decisions from places where the law or the way people act isn't clear. But where do we get this virtue from? Which voices do we listen to when we make our carefully crafted decision? Is it mine? Is it someone else's? Whose? Which voice in the morass upon thousands of thousands of internet denizens begging for our attention do we listen to with the most interest and give the most time to? For myself and for Christians around the world, and I'd like to humbly suggest for people of no faith or other faiths, this is where Jesus comes into the mix. Now, I imagine if you're listening to this as someone with no particular religious faith, you may be wanting to switch off right now, but do bear with me, I'm not interested in preaching at you or trying to make you see things my way. But I would like you to imagine that even though he existed 2,000 years ago in a culture and a time quite different to our own, the person that Jesus was and the ethics that Jesus lived out does have something to say to our time about what to do in this ethical dilemma. His voice is one out of many, but billions of people today will swear that it is one worth listening to, and it may not be saying what you quite expect. Now, Jesus had a knack for saying things that really annoyed religious people. The Pharisees, for example, very keen on having a rule for absolutely everything, were all about doing the right thing and avoiding the wrong. Good going, you might think. Except that they then made up a load of other difficult rules that made it even more difficult to do the right thing than it needed to be. So God says, have a day off on Saturday, don't do any work. Not a bad idea, you might think. But in Jesus' day, you couldn't even spit on the ground on a Saturday lest you move the soil, which was kind of like ploughing, which was kind of like work, which you weren't allowed to do. Hmm. And along comes Jesus, and he turns their ideas about God uh, and what he's interested in upside down. He claims that God is not just interested in us keeping the rules like well-heeled schoolchildren. We weren't made for the purpose of rule-keeping. The rules are there to guide us towards God, to help us out. When they become a weight on our shoulders that crushes a vertebrae, we need to rethink what they really mean. In one of the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life, a man called Matthew records some of Jesus' teaching about things like prayer, giving to the poor, looking after each other, our relationship with God. And Jesus redefines all of these things. For example, he says when you pray, don't make it long-winded, as if God's well impressed by your vocab. Keep it short and sweet, he knows what you're going to ask him anyway. When you give to the poor, don't make a show of it so you feel good about yourself. Do it in secret, God will see even if no one else does. In the same exchange, Jesus talks about ownership, the root, I think, of the issue of online piracy. He says this, Don't hoard treasure down here where it gets eaten by moths and corrupted by rust, or worse, stolen by burglars. Stockpile treasure in heaven where it's safe from moth and rust and burglars. It's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is, is the place where you'll most want to be, and end up being. Because the reality is, our culture is ownership-obsessed. Shop here, buy this, enjoy this experience, and you'll be a well-rounded person, fulfilled and happy. Because, of course, all the richest people who have ever had everything they ever wanted are well happy, aren't they? And all the celebs that do all the things we ever dreamt of are satisfied and content and the nicest people in the world, aren't they? Hmm. 
Maybe we need to look at our own online habits and stop thinking that we have a right to stuff that we don't own. We asked Jesus today about online piracy. I wondered if he'd sidestep the whole area of what's right and wrong to download and suggest in his usual friendly way that we're kind of missing the point. The fact that we're struggling about this issue suggests that we're already placed too much emphasis on the things that we have or haven't got. Because if we're honest, all this stuff, whether in physical or digital form, it's not going to last, and we know that. We might kid ourselves, but we know it. All the backups in the world won't make your stuff last forever, and all the downloads you could ever desire won't make you satisfied. Jesus suggests that there's a better ethical path. Store up treasure in heaven. So what does that mean, storing up treasure in heaven? Well, you might have to read the rest of the story to find out. I'm not going to spoil it for you. But it made me think, when I read this passage, that every time I'm tempted to download or edit or modify or copy something that I don't have the rights to, no matter whether it's okay or not to do so, I'm feeding in myself the part of me that longs to have more stuff. I want that music, that film, that experience, that YouTube video that everyone's going to love watching. I'd like to suggest that God is perhaps more interested in other things, like spending time with him, like loving other people, like feeding the poor, like letting people know about Jesus. These are things that won't run out. They're not copyright. They're not break down or corrupt. No one can steal them. My name's Tim Dixon, and you've been listening to Digital Frontiers, my new podcast. I hope you've enjoyed listening. Thanks for coming by, and I hope that in the week to come you'll have something to ponder.